Good morning. Do you have a good Thanksgiving? Good, good. Um, I had a great Thanksgiving. It's great to see you all here. And uh, we're uh, getting to do something a little bit different here instead of uh, starting the next series right now. Um, uh, we chose to make this a standalone uh, message. And so I wanted to take the opportunity with that to uh, speak to something that I think we, that, that I want us to come back to uh, now and again. And, and it speaks to something that we all face as followers of Christ and something uh, that we can be pulled into that can make us feel stuck in some ways with our own spiritual journeys. I know I have experienced that. And that maybe understanding something that Christ taught a little bit more deeply actually uh, helps us in our own spiritual journey. And so to uh, kind of cover this topic of, of this kind of uniqueness uh, here, I want us to turn to the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to the Gospel of John chapter seven. And, um, it, it also, I think, ends up being very revealing just about who we is, who we is, who we are as a, uh, uh, as a church and about the spiritual life. So this is found in John chapter seven, John chapter seven. And I'm gonna start in verse 37 here. Um, and this is at the end of this uh, large feast that's going on and it's speaking of Christ here. So verse 37, it says, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, if anyone is thirsty, and just, I want you to think about what he's saying here in this moment, that as he said, you know, if anyone is thirsty, he's talking about unmet desires. And right, like who hasn't fa faced that, right? And, and maybe you can relate to that, right? He's talking about unmet desires. It can be uh, a sense of emptiness. It can be a sense of restlessness. It can be uh, a thirst uh, that comes out of loneliness. And not, not just like, you know, there's nobody around right now, but like, like, have you had moments where you felt profound loneliness, uh, disconnection, even if people were around you, like just like, I don't feel heard or understood or I feel out of place. And, and he's saying, if, you're, if you thirst like that, uh, right? Um, maybe it's a spiritual yearning. Maybe it's a struggle over a temptation. Maybe, maybe it's just you're struggling over where the world is right now. And it's hard to just have hope. And there's this kind of thirst for something different in your life or in the relationships around you that, that he's talking about something deep here. And maybe... Maybe take a second and think about what is the thirst in your life? If there was one thing, one thing that you wish you could quench or a yearning you could answer, like what would that be? Because his words are to you as well in this. So he says this, here's what he says. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, he says. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And so he gives this answer to the thirst. Like, like if you thirst, come to me, he says, and drink of me. And uh, notice he doesn't say, and I will come and I, I'll, give you, I'll give you living water that you can drink and, and quench your thirst. He says, drink of me 
And then he, and then the, like the water, it, he gives this real interesting idea. He says, and then l- streams of living water will flow from within you. And uh, this uh, little Greek word that he uses here for within you, it's a very emotive word because uh, it's related to that thirst, right? When we think of those deep thirsts, what is it that you have passion for? What is it that invokes feeling because it matters to you so much? It's... Um, uh, it, it's interesting when we, like we have a word that we use that's a, like a deep feeling kind of word, like whether it's love or whether it's anguish, you might say, gosh, I feel anguish in like, what organ would you name if you had like deep anguish over something or deep love for that matter? What would you name? Your heart, right? That's, that's what we would use. So in Greek, kolia, that's the word that he uses here. Uh, it refers to your guts, your like, specifically your lower abdomen. So uh, apparently in the Greek culture, if you wanted to tell someone you'd like love them with all your heart, you'd actually say, I love you with all my guts. And they'd go, oh, that's so sweet. <clears throat> Try it out this week on someone you love. See how that goes. Um, but it's this deeply emotive word, right? And, and, and he's saying that deep within you, like these streams of living water. And when he talks about living water, he is talking about his own spirit. He is talking about the Holy Spirit, that that I will meet you in that place where those deep yearnings and feelings come from. This This is a profound thing he's saying here. He is giving an answer to the yearnings of our, of our heart, of our guts or heart, as we might say. And what he's not saying is, you know, like, you know, you'll be okay, suck it up. He's like, no, I want to give you life in the most beautiful way, right? And, and we get that from Jesus. We, in fact, I'll say this, we see this picture of this kind of life, this kind of hope, all throughout the New Testament. It is a thing that begins to unfold all throughout the New Testament. In fact, let me give you a couple of, uh, of examples of this. If uh, you flip just a few more chapters, in fact, it's just, it wasn't long after this that Jesus says something else that John records in chapter 10. Look at chapter 10, verse, uh, verse 10. He says this, um, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, right? He doesn't just say, I've come that you'd have life. I'll take care of you. I won't let anyone. No, I've come that you have life and have it to the full in here. Uh, let me give you a couple of examples from some of the apostles. Uh, so with uh, Paul over in Romans uh, chapter 15, here's how Paul uh, puts this. Romans chapter 15, verse 13, he says, um, may the God of hope fill you with all joy, not just some joy, not a little, but all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may, you know, have a little bit of hope. No, overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? This is the life that he's describing in here. Um, One more example from Peter. If you turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, um, and this is my favorite out of all of these. uh, Peter writes this, he says, and speaking of Jesus, and he's speaking to a group of Christ followers that we can relate to because they came after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. So they never got to meet Jesus in, in, you know, in physical bodily uh, form. He writes this, verse eight, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible, and glorious joy. 
not just joy, I love this, inexpressible, and not just inexpressible, but an inexpressible, glorious joy, right? That's some good joy right there. That's like that, right? And you just think, man, that life, that life is amazing. And we see this described all throughout the New Testament. And, and, and we understand this. And, and I wanna describe this as what we see in the New Testament is this life promised, right? There's this life promised in, in scripture. And we, like there's something amazing and beautiful and wonderful uh, about it. Uh, but here's what we run into, right? Here's what we run into. What we run into reality. Ever run into that? Because sometimes it hurts, doesn't it? Yeah, right? There's this thing that we go through our Christian lives and there's moments, you know, like you wake up in the morning and your spouse who you just love so much and yet you're just so irritated with them and you just like, you know, or you blow up at your kids in one moment. You're just like, that's not the kind of parent I wanna be, but they're not the kinds of kids I want them to be right now. And, just, and you just feel this thing and it's just like, it's not feeling a lot like, you know, inexpressible joy right now. Ever have a moment where you go, yeah, this is not that, right? That's reality and we all experience that. Um, we become jealous of a friend over something silly or something. You're just like, that, that's not the kind of person I wanna be. And yet the truth is I'm, I'm, I'm being jealous in this weird moment right now. Or you find yourself uh, just passing judgment on someone, right? Something's going in and, you just, and you're just judging them or using these harsh words and you don't even need to and you do it kind of in a casual way and you're just like, what's going on there? Or you find yourself um, hooked because someone else is judging you and you think, but you know, I'm secure in Christ and I shouldn't get hooked by that, but I am. Or you find yourself weighted down with depression or just turned inside out with anxiety. And, and you've got, right, this lack of joy and pain and difficulty and, and, and if you're like me, here's what happens, right? Instead of moments when I get lost in this, instead of looking at this life described and promised in scripture, inspiring me to someplace, what I find is I feel stuck, that there is this gap in my life. And I feel it sometimes between the reality of what I'm experiencing in my walk and this life that I keep reading about in scripture. And the question is, what do I do about this gap in there? And that's what I wanna talk about because I, my, my suspicion, my experience is, as Christians, we, we all, like we're all going to experience that gap and we experience it in heightened ways at times. Sometimes it lessens, but, but it can be this kind of nagging uh, thing in there. And I wanna come back to Jesus's teachings and what he says in this, the, that first passage we read. But first, I, I think it would be important to point out that we deal with that gap in a number of different ways. And I, I wanna point out four of those ways. There's, there's probably dozens and dozens of different ways, but I wanna point out 
uh, four different ways. And as I go through some of these ways that we, you know, strategies that we employ at times for handling uh, that gap, I want you to be thinking about your life and just like, where, what are the strategies that I'm employing? What, what's going on in me? Because sometimes we're not fully aware of it. Uh, the first one, uh, I, I describe it this way. It, it's, when we, it's when we say, okay, I've got this gap and I've got to get more serious about following God. I need, I need to try harder. And this is the, uh, the try harder uh, method, right? We look at it and we just say, you know, maybe the problem here is because I'm not putting enough effort. I'm not putting enough attention in my spiritual life. And I, like, I, need to, I need to put a lot more effort into it. And at the heart of this, right, it, it's, there's a beautiful thing. It's about commitment. It's about devotion. But that commitment and that devotion gets pulled into this like trying harder. And, and every time I face something over here where I feel like I lack in what I'm doing in my spirit, it's okay, I need to get back and I need to try harder uh, at this thing. I know, man, there was a season in my life, uh, in particular in my early 20s, where like this in some ways was like the main strategy that I found myself uh, in. And, uh, w- you know, we get pulled into it and there's a kind of question, and, and maybe you have thought about your spiritual journey in this way, because if you have, it's a good indicator that you're pulled into the kind of the try harder strategy. And it's, the, it's, it's when we struggle with the ever present question of what pleases and displeases God. And everything, does this please God or is this displease God? What, like every, every time you get ready to make a decision, do something, you just like, will this please or displease God? Like it just, and before we know it, it's like every moment of our life gets pulled into like, how am I doing, right? Uh, with my effort, how, how am I measuring up and how good of a Christian am I? Because am I putting enough effort into it? Am I being a good enough Christian uh, to like close that gap, trying to close that gap. And it's just this belief if, if I just try hard enough, right? If I pray enough, if I fight temptation hard enough, then all of a sudden I'll get to experience that beautiful, you know, glorious life. But you know, if you're like me, the try harder method isn't a method that brings a lot of joy, is it? In fact, um, it, it can make us rather grumpy kinds of people at moments. That's what I've experienced myself in this. Um, and you get pulled into it in the most naive of ways. Like it can be something as simple as this. Like, you know, you, maybe you have a friend and you find out your friend, boy, uh, they get up at 4.30 in the morning to pray. And you just think, wow, that's really spiritual. And that's a great thing to do. Only, you know, you think of it and you're just like, well, I've guess I got to do that too, right? And you're not a morning person, right? You get up at 4.30 in the morning, you look a little dazed and confused and cranky maybe, right? Jesus is even saying, let's just talk later, right? <laughs> That's because you're not a morning person. But there's a part of you that goes, <sighs> but you know, if it's miserable and hard, it's probably pretty spiritual. That's what I need to do, right? And I think there's a part of me that just thought, you know, in a weird way, maybe measuring things that if it's hard or miserable, that, gosh, that not that what God wants? That proves how devoted I am. And that'll get me that promised life over there. And Jesus said, come unto me, right? All who are thirsty, drink of me, 
and streams of living water will flow. I don't know. I'll just say it. I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind, the try harder strategy, when he talked about streams of living water flowing from within, was he? You know, one of the other methods uh, that we uh, try, um, maybe I, I put it this way. It, it, it's when we like say to ourselves, um, I've just got to have more faith or, um, I, I, you know, I, I've got to have a stronger faith. And oftentimes when we say I need to have more faith or a stronger faith, what we mean by this too often, and I know this because I remember doing this very early in, in my own spiritual journey with God. It, it was kind of like, okay, I just, I need to believe. Faith, faith means I just need to believe this thing that I think God is saying in the Bible or about me. I need to believe it even if I don't believe it, right? It's that thing of just like, okay, like real faith is, I, I'm just, even if I don't believe it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work really hard and I'm gonna believe it if I don't believe it. And it's, it's this kind of blind faith. Right? Just this uh, kind of blind faith. Uh, but the problem with the blind faith is um, it, it doesn't know what to do with doubt. It doesn't know what to do with the struggles that we have when we don't uh, undersee, uh, understand. And so blind faith has this way of just trying to cover up all of this stuff, right? Because it's just like, okay, I'm just going to blindly believe. I'm just going to believe that I, like, I already have this life. It's already there. And so, yeah, you know, when, you, when we get stuck in that, uh, like, you know, every decision you make is, you know, an answer from heaven. You know, God, you know, God gave me the answer on this one. God gave me the answer, you know, let's say, you know, uh, you know, you're at the restaurant and it's just like, oh, God told me what to order today. Oh, isn't it glorious? Oh, you know, it's just your life is a miracle a minute, right? Nothing's wrong. You know, you get your hands stuck in the garbage bowl and you're like, it doesn't hurt. But if it did, I would count it the joy of the Lord to suffer for God, right? And you're just like, what? You know, and if, and if I could stand back and see myself in those moments, I'd be like, you know, too bad there wasn't a pill for that because that would have, you know, that's just, I, I don't think that that's what God was after. Jesus was never after this kind of blind faith that ultimately is asking us to pretend a little bit and to manage our image in an as-if kind of way. And again, it's easy to get pulled into this. Um, if you're like me, I, like I can see someone else living out their spiritual life and go, wow, it just seems like they're so good at it, right? Maybe you see that other family and that family, like it's just, man, they've got it together, right? Like they just, they seem like the perfect family. And we can, we can, begin to look at someone else and think they're just, they just live over here all of the time. They never get stuck. They never struggle. And it can feel like I ought to be there too. And the next thing we know, we're trying to manage an image as if we're in that place. But you know, that always just leads to emptiness. And I think when Jesus said streams of living water will flow from within, he wasn't asking us to live a blind faith that would pull us towards masks or pretending. I don't, not at all. But 
Can you see, have you, I mean, have you ever been caught in that? Like, I, I know there's moments where I can get caught in that. Two more, two more here. Um, uh, this next one, it kind of comes in these if only moments, right? Like we think if only dot, dot, dot would happen or change in my life, then the gap would close, right? We look at those external circumstances around us and we just think if, if only that would change, it'd be like magic and, and I'd get to experience that life. And so it's not really the kind of hope that, uh, that Paul talked about that I read earlier that Jesus talks about. It's, I'm gonna call it a magical hope. It's this hope that just, you know, like, if, if this thing happened just like magic, then uh, everything is good uh, in my life, right? Um, you see Solomon uh, struggling with this in the Old Testament. Solomon was this king, incredibly wise and smart. He was powerful. He was uh, wealthy beyond uh, our wildest imagination. And he was struggling with trying to find this meaningful life and trying to find purpose and trying like, and a, a kind of joy that was significant. And so, he like, he kind of bought into this. And so he literally, and he had the means to pursue it in the way we don't, okay? So when it came to pleasure, right? He's just like, I'm gonna pursue every kind of pleasure there is. I'm gonna throw money at it. I'm gonna make it happen. I'm gonna see if magically, if, if that thing that I think would bring pleasure or goodness to my life, I'm gonna go get it. I'm gonna go after it and see if it happens. He went after achievement. He went after success. He accomplished great things he built all of these and just see if if I go down the road and I achieve all of these things will that bring a sense of satisfaction and meaningfulness and joy he even pursued fame right like if I'm famous if people want to be like me if people look up to me if I like would that do it but you know it's it's just magical thinking because for every moment that he could grab one of those things. And you know, there's always something that you experience that's good or positive uh, in that, but it never delivered. It never, right? It never pulls us out of being stuck in this spot. Ever have a moment where you think, you know, if only my kids would have made a different choice there. I, I, like, I wouldn't be suffering for them or with them in this. Ever have a moment where you think, you know, secretly, I wish I had a different spouse, right? My marriage is like, it's just, it's hard and it's arduous. And man, I see other marriages and they've got it easy. If I, if only I had a different spouse, wow, life would be so good. Or if I could just, there's one temptation. And if I could just overcome this, if God would just magically make it not a temptation in my life anymore, then everything would be good. If my parents would just stop trying to control me and give me some freedom, my life would be good. If only this person approved of me or liked me. If I only had more money. If I only dot, 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 you fill in the blank. What's the thing? And I'm not saying that it wouldn't bring something good or helpful or make life better. But if for a moment you think it would just magically close that gap up and you would have this beautiful, inexpressible, glorious joy, probably, probably you'll find yourself disappointed. 
And I remember a time in my 40s that there's just, man, there were some moments and just, there were just some outside things and circumstances. I just thought if I could, if, though, if God had just changed those or if I could just wrestle that to the ground, if that would happen, oh, th- then I'd get the life that I've always wanted. It just seems like every time I grasp one of those things, it's good, but it didn't swing the door shut on that gap. It didn't carry me across that gap. And I just wonder if some of you have experienced the same thing. Fourth strategy. And, and you may not think of this as a strategy at first, but, but it really is in so many ways. And it comes from a sense of hopelessness. And it, it comes oftentimes when we've employed one of these other three strategies or some other strategy and you've thrown yourself into it. And then you reach the point where you just say, you know what, it's hopeless. And I'd rather just give up on even trying to... F- to close that gap than to keep throwing effort into finding a way to close the gap. And and the strategy is a kind of, I give up. And and part of why I call it a strategy is because we use it to kind of protect ourselves at moments. Because if you've ever had a moment where you're struggling with a disappointment with God or your own spiritual life and you throw yourself into it. Ever have a moment where you throw yourself into it? And it was painful. It was, the the disappointment on the other side was painful, right? You, You got on that religious treadmill of trying harder. You, I mean, you worked hard at it. I've done that. And there's something about exhausting yourself on a religious treadmill and feeling like you've not moved any further that is just so disappointing, only to fall off that treadmill and then just be crushed by the shame that this strategy leaves you with. And, and you can come back and you'd say, you know what, rather than ever get back on that treadmill again and become exhausted or get crushed by its shame, I'm just not gonna do that. I'd rather give up on the dream than go through that again. Or, I'm not gonna live by blind faith. I'm not gonna play a pretender game in this. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not gonna go there. And you find yourself quitting. Sometimes we reach a point where we just say, you know what, I did, I did everything I was supposed to, God. Ever pray that prayer? Ever, ever find yourself in a moment and your thirst in that moment had you praying, God, I did everything I was supposed to as a good Christian, and everything I understood about the Christian, I did everything I was supposed to, and you didn't do what you were supposed to. Like, like you entered that, and it's just like, I think God was supposed to do something in my life, and I read about it in Scripture, and God, you didn't do it. And so I I just, I can't, I can't gin up the energy to go after that. I'll go to church now and then. I'll pray every once in a while. I'll still love you. But I, you know, I'm, just, I'm gonna just get through life and someday when I die, I'll go to heaven and I hope it's all good there. But in this life, I just kind of give up on the spiritual thing and, I, and, and I'll, I'll muddle through. I'll get what I can get out on my own in this life. Ever been, ever faced that disappointment? So I think maybe Jesus is looking at people when he says all who are thirsty, he's also saying everyone who's thirsty from trying harder and living blind faith and being disappointed from magical hope and people who've just given up, you come to me 
Come to me, because there's a different way to close that gap. And that's, that's what I wanna, I wanna end on this. And I wanna go back to that passage that we started with here. And I want you to think about a different kind of faith uh, in this. Look back at John chapter seven, verse 37. I wanna, I wanna reread that first verse here. He says this, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And you understand when he says, come to me, that he is asking for a step of faith, right? That whole idea, right? That, that is in, impugned and embedded with the whole idea of faith. Come to me, trust me, come to me, right? This is about faith. But what I wanna say is he, what he's describing here is a very genuine kind of faith. And the first thing that you notice right off is he says, come where? Come to the temple, come to the altar, come to the, where does he say? Come to me. See, genuine faith is to a person. It is to Jesus Christ. Genuine faith is relational, friends, right? Genuine faith is uh, is in its very core is relational. It is, it is an interaction at some level. It is not a system of working harder or uh, you know, knowledge about what you just need to blindly believe. Like it, it's, it's to a person. And so begin to just take a step and think of it in a profoundly relational way. That's what genuine faith is. Um, but, but here's where I wanna go with this. The, the, the part that I think is super important here is in this next spot. And there's so many things that I would love to unpack about genuine faith, even out of this passage, and just decided to narrow it down to these two things that come out of a single word uh, here in this passage that I think is so very telling. Um, at the end of that verse where he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me, right? Deeply relational and drink, he says. You know, uh, I don't think it's any accident that he uses this word drink here. Now, um, it fits for a number of reasons. One, it fits because it follows this whole metaphor of thirst to come and drink. But I think there's something deeper going on here. I think that Jesus is actually using a play on words uh, here that his original hearers would have understood in some way. You know, it's interesting in Greek, um, uh, and you've heard us talk about this before, there are three words that you see that are very related, uh, even in the root word that they come from. And it is faith, trust, and belief. Um, when you look at them in the Greek, they, they all come from this very similar root. In fact, when we think of like the word believe, we think of like uh, intellectual assertion of, I think that is true, right? We think of it as an intellectual belief that something is actual or true. Um, in Greek, it carries some of that idea, but it is related far more to the idea of trust and, and faith than it is just an intellectual belief of something because those words are deeply related. But there is a fourth word that is profoundly related and rooted to, those, to the word trust, faith, and belief. And we wouldn't normally think of this, but it's the word drink. And uh, partly probably what happened is in the formation of ancient Greek, like way before Jesus's time, the word drink was probably created first. And then as they started developing the idea of faith and trust and belief, their notion of faith, trust, and belief was related to their understanding of drinking, right? To drink something is to take it in, 
right? And we don't think about this much. When we, like you go to the refrigerator, you know, refrigerator door to the sink and you get a glass of water and you drink it or you get something at a restaurant and you drink it. We don't think much about like that's an act of faith in this, but understand in the first century, in the ancient world, when you drank something, there was risk involved, right? They didn't have, uh, you know, they didn't have OSHA. They didn't have the FDA, right? They didn't have sealed little bottles of water. When you drank something, you were taking something in past all of the normal defense systems that you had. You, you could be susceptible to getting really sick and even dying. And I say this, I say this from experience. I think about, uh, you know, drinking a glass of water differently now. Uh, uh, some years ago, I visited Thailand and I drank something at one moment. And it had a few, you know, a few little microorganisms in it. And they went down into my stomach and a couple of them threw a little party until they had, you know, a bunch more little organisms down there until they threw, you know, a regular festival down in my stomach. And, and I noticed the party going on about five minutes before a 14 hour van ride into uh, Northern Thailand. Let me tell you, that was one of the worst drives of my life. I, I got, I mean, I don't know that I've ever been that sick and that miserable, right? And so now when I drink something, especially in fact, on my sabbatical, I got to be uh, in a third world uh, area and I was very careful about, you know, drinking only, you know, sealed, you know, uh, you know, bottles and stuff. And at one point we ran out of bottled water and someone brought up a pitcher of water. Remember this, it was at lunch, brought up a pitcher of water. He goes, there you go. And I was just like, uh, no, <laughs> no, not here. Like, you can't see him, but there's, there's some guy swimming around in there and he's gonna, uh, no, no, no. And this, and, um, and the other guy goes, no, I promise it's safe. You can drink it. Hmm, and it's like, and all of a sudden I'm like, ah, faith, belief, trust. Do I really have trust in this? Will I really drink this in? See, there's a reason why you read in the Old Testament, there's a reason why you read in ancient stories how kings had cupbearers, right? Because one of the easiest ways to kill a king or a ruler was to put a little poison in their drink, right? That's dangerous stuff for a king. Don't miss that when Jesus says, right? He doesn't just say, okay, have a little faith, right? He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to drink me in. Two things about that. One, it is incredibly vulnerable. Genuine faith is a very vulnerable thing to do. Secondly, um, genuine faith is very illuminating. And, and the other word I would use for this is confrontational within us. And, and it's hard, to, and, I, and I will explain what I mean by that here in a moment, but what's going on here. Let me just start for a moment and speak just a little bit to this idea of it's very vulnerable uh, in this. Um, when Jesus says, come to me and drink, 
He is, he's shattering that world's notion of how you would approach God, of how you would approach faith, right? You came and you brought your best foot forward. You stood at a distance or you stood in front of an altar with the, right, with the correct space between you and it. You dare not enter into a temple, right? You, you might stand outside. There's kind of this separation, right? And there's a part of that that people liked because that was a lot safer. And what Jesus is saying, you need to experience me within you. You need to, you need to experience me when you are at your most vulnerable. And here's why. The, the kind of faith that begins to close the gap in this is a kind of faith where we can actually depend and walk and trust in who Jesus is and what he has said in our lives, right? You can intellectually understand God loves me. You can intellectually understand I have God's grace. I have his favor. I, I have his power. I have his forgiveness. You can understand all of that intellectually and still be on the try harder path like crazy. And I know that because I did it. And what Jesus is saying in this moment is, you know, part of the way you break some of this stuff is, I want you to walk, I want to take you a step of faith that is, that is truly vulnerable. And that means moments where you have to experience your vulnerability. You have to experience moments where you, where you are in your worst pain and in your worst pain, you experience God's care. And that's when God's care becomes real, right? When you're, at your, when you, when you're in that kind of pain and you go, God cares about then it's real, right? When you're, when you're going through one of your worst failures, maybe one of your worst failures at work, maybe one of your worst moral failures, maybe your worst failure, you just like, I just, I, I, I hate to even call myself a parent or a spouse or a friend right now. You just, it's at that moment when you experience Jesus's love in your worst failure, that his love becomes real. Real. It becomes the thing that you will hang on to again and again and again. It is the moment at your greatest weakness when you say, I can't go anymore. I can't do this. I can't overcome this. I don't know how I will get through tomorrow. The depression is too great. The anxiety has me turned inside out. I don't know how I can face that. It's at that moment where you are laid bare and God's grace is sufficient that God's grace becomes real. But when we live in blind faith, when we give up, when we live in magical hope and trying harder, it's like we're standing at just enough distance that God doesn't, we, we, won't, we, we won't let him see our most vulnerable. And so can I say, take a step of great vulnerability. He has invited you in, take that step. Now, the second part of this, of genuine faith, and it gets to this idea of that genuine faith is illuminating or confrontational. And, and here's what I mean by this. Everything Jesus is speaking to in this whole thing has nothing to do with the outside circumstances of our life. It's not the outside circumstances of our behavior. It's not the outside circumstances of what we're believing in, what we hope will happen, or the fact that we've given up in some way. What he is most interested in is what he does on the inside of us, not around us. Doesn't mean he doesn't care about the circumstances around us, but when it comes to his transformational power, the thing he is wanting to transform is on the inside of us. 
He is wanting to illuminate something inside of us that suddenly we see for the first time. And friends, that's not always a great feeling, right? Uh, there was a time uh, years and years ago, I was on a hiking trip with a friend and we were up in the mountains a couple of friends, and we came across this old tunnel. It was a cut tunnel that had like uh, an ore car had uh, gone, like where they used to have ore car tracks or something up in the mountains in there. And I just thought this would be a great idea to go through this uh, tunnel. Um, I, uh, so I decided to do that. My friends decided it wouldn't be a good idea to just wander through a dark tunnel that we know nothing uh, about. And so uh, we were just gonna meet up on the other side of it. We figured it wasn't too far uh, away and I can't remember why we thought that, but I'm sure I was very accurate in my assessment of that. I got in there and my battery, the batteries in my flashlight were already very low and not far into it, my batteries went completely dead uh, in it. And you know, uh, I decided uh, that's okay because I have this camera and this was before smartphones, way before smartphones. And so I had this camera that had a flash on it. And my idea was, and I'm sure all of you in the same circumstance, you would have said, I would have done the exact same thing, Glenn, right? So I have this flash on the camera. My idea was I, I just start jogging a little bit down this tunnel. Then before I got too far, I just snap a picture, right? And the flash would just like light up the tunnel uh, long enough and I just kind of keep that picture of, in my mind of where to go. And then I just, you know, jog a little bit further and then take another flash and I could make it like all the way through the tunnel in there, um, right? Y'all would have done the same thing if you would have had an old camera, right? Maybe a few of you would have said, or we could turn around and go just back where we had already been and like what we knew in there. Um, so I did that and on the first flash, right? I start my little run and start the first flash, you know, lights everything up in this tunnel. And I looked down on the floor and there were what I thought were dozens of snakes, right? And it's like, ha ah, ah, ah. And I was like kind of already committed and they were like all, and I was just like freaking out. And I took off running through this dark tunnel um, and I couldn't get the flash to work uh, anymore on this thing. So I bounced off the walls, terrified to stop because the snakes would get me. And I made it through, okay, on the other side. Um, but here's my point about this, right? There is something about right, where darkness reigns, like, and, and you can't see. And before I snapped that little picture, like, it's just like, oh, everything's good. And man, when that flash went off and the floor was filled with snakes, I was like, I just rather would not have seen that, right? And in the same way, here's what, and here's why I call this confrontational as well, because there are these moments in our spiritual lives that when we take a step of genuine faith, right, um, uh, it's vulnerable, but sometimes Jesus has a way of illuminating something that we'd rather not see. It's scary, or it's not, it's, it's not the way we would want to see it, or, or we had this different idea about our life. It might require change of some sort. It might require putting energy and effort into our spiritual life in a different way. And you know what's interesting? When you look at Jesus's life on earth and how he taught people, you find that this, this is what he was doing constantly. You know, when you, when you look at Jesus's teaching, what you rarely ever find is him interacting and teaching someone and laying out like systematic, theology in some way, right? In fact, he'll speak about one thing to one person in a completely different way to somebody else. But what you see is this constancy of how he's always trying to get to the heart. 
You see with a guy named Simon, this guy, he goes, Jesus goes over to his house and uh, you know, he does it and Simon is a religious leader and Jesus doesn't get into this whole big religious systematic theology dialogue with him and all these things. He starts telling this little story about debt and how one guy gets his debt paid off and another gets it, does it. And, and you're just like, what's Jesus doing with this thing? But what you see, Jesus understands uh, that in Simon's heart, there's this kind of lack of empathy that is causing him to look down and judge other people. And the thing that needs to be illuminated most in Simon's heart is how he can see himself in a way that allows him to just judge others. And Jesus is trying to confront, to illuminate something in Simon's heart. And it's at that point that Simon gets to say, wow, I'll either step forward to allow a kind of internal change to occur, or I'll step back and I won't trust this in faith. And Simon doesn't. There's another time where Jesus meets a woman at a well and her, her great secret in her heart is this immense amount of shame. She has, uh, she's had all of these dis different husbands and even now the man she's with isn't her husband. She's kind of, uh, you know, been rejected by the village and she holds all of this shame and she's alone, all of these things. And Jesus meets her at this well and they get into this discussion about spiritual things. And then Jesus does the weirdest thing, right? I want you to think about this. Jesus, the man who loves with grace and passion, like, he says to this woman, he knows her background. And at this one moment, he goes, oh, why don't you go get your husband and come back here? Well, that's pretty doggone rude, don't you think? Man, that's mean. No, it's not. He's illuminating. He's confronting. He's confronting the shame that is holding her back and not to put more shame on her because it is in the next moments that he reveals to her that he is the Messiah. He brings her to the point of, you are right now in front of the Messiah and I am with you, I've not left. And you can either stay with me, you can now live out of this kind of crazy acceptance that I am offering you or you can run back away in your loneliness. And she takes this amazing step of faith. In fact, where she goes next is into the village of all those people that she was avoiding before. See, sometimes, sometimes Christ illuminates something that is scary to us. We don't know what to do, it confronts us, but it offers us a kind of change that begins to diminish that gap. And you know what you find out sometimes, friends? that is that gap diminishes, the thing that we were so terrified of in our hearts really isn't all that bad. A week or so later, I got that film developed out of that picture I took in that cave, and it wasn't snakes at all. It was roots. I was yelling and screaming like a crazy person through that thing, banging up my elbows and my head and everything, going out there. There were no snakes in there, it was just a bunch of roots, and the thing had terrified me, it just, it wasn't. And what you sometimes find is when you drink in Jesus and you abide in his grace and his love and he begins to change you, those things that are so scary that drive us to trying harder and blind faith and magic hope, we find that his grace and his love is sufficient. And what you find is the gap doesn't close the way you once thought it would by sheer will of your action and pushing it shut. 
Here's what I, in fact, I even teach this different now, even since the last time I taught this. And it's just out of my own experience of trying to come back to genuine faith and again and again. And here's what I'm experiencing. I hope you experience this. I experience the diminishment of that gap as it begins to close because Jesus is just changing me. I'm the one that's changing. And somehow it's in that I'm the one being changed that I experience it in a different way. And that joy and that hope begin coming in, not because Jesus changed something out in the circumstances of my life, but he changed me. And friends, may he change you. I'm gonna close this in as I do. I just wanna say, if you're a guest or a visitor here, man, it was so good to have you here. And I really mean that. Like, I'm gonna be right over here and we would just kind of have a, a time where we can meet and greet. And I, I would love to just shake your hand and welcome you here. Maybe you're here this morning and, and we talk, you know, I talked about being a Christ follower all morning and you'd be like, I wanna know more about what that is. Or maybe you just need someone to pray for you. I invite you to come right back to the prayer place over here that we have some fantastic people that would love to just pray for you here this morning. Um, but why don't we all stand and I'm gonna close this in prayer uh, here this morning. Let me, let me pray here. Father, we just thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the beauty and wonder of what he uh, provides us and how he can come into our hearts and transform us from the inside out. And in, with that thankful heart, Father, we pray all of this in his name, amen. amen. Have a great morning. See you next week.